Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lee, when you look around to your options for the upcoming 2024 election, how do you feel? I feel frightened, depressed, frustrated, confused. There's a certain Eeyore-ish quality to the way Lee Drutman talks about the 2024 presidential field right now. Which is strange, because he's a political scientist. It's a lot of time between now and 2024, but if it's Biden and Trump again, as it likely will be, I'm terrified of Trump. And I'm anxious about Biden. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. This political malaise, some would blame the candidates for it. Some would blame the never-ending culture wars. But Lee thinks a little bigger to the systems and structures that made those candidates and culture wars possible. Democrats, Republicans, he's looking at you. Yeah, jokers to the left, jokers to the right. Stuck in the middle with you. Stuck in the middle? I mean, are we stuck in the middle here? There's ample evidence that Lee is not the only one feeling stuck. And he's not the only one blaming the major political parties for that feeling, either. A quarter of all Americans see both Democrats and Republicans unfavorably right now. Close to half of us call ourselves independents. But stuck, it's almost too mild of a word to describe what Lee's concerned about. He's worried about what happens when our political system tries to unstick itself. This is something the founders openly fretted about when they were plotting how the American system was going to work. John Adams said that a division of the republic into two great parties is to be dreaded as the great political evil. Lee says the stuck feeling so many people have right now, it's a check engine light, and it's blinking. When there are only two teams... There's no possibility for recombination. It's just us versus them, my side versus your side. And that's how democracies die. We look around the world and we see that there are a lot of democracies that are collapsing or have collapsed. And in every one of those democracies, what has happened before that collapse is society has fractured into two sides. And in such circumstances, one side says, well, the other side is so dangerous that we're going to change the rules and we're going to shut down this whole free and fair elections thing so our side maintains total power. I mean, you're getting pretty dark here, but you do have a solution for all this. It just involves taking a sledgehammer to the current system, right? Yeah, maybe it's a sledgehammer. I don't know. I try not to be too too destructive here. Lee's solution is moving beyond Democrat versus Republican spawning more political parties, a lot more. If it was up to you, how many parties would the United States have? I think five or six is probably about the the right number of parties. Five or six. That's a lot of people in the pool. 
Is it? <laughs> it's a big country. Today on the show, on America's birthday, Lee's got a radical solution to a very American political predicament. He doesn't want a third party. He wants a fourth and a fifth, maybe even a sixth. So how's that all supposed to work? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Can I ask a dumb question? Why are there only two political parties in the U.S. in the first place? The reason that we have just two political parties is because we have an electoral system of single winner elections that renders third parties as spoilers and wasted votes. So all all of the organizing energy has gone into the two major parties. So you're saying this is kind of organic, but can you just dig into this a little bit more? Like, how did this system grow up? Like, why is it that having a winner-takes-all approach incentivizes just two parties? The reason that having a winner-take-all approach incentivizes just two parties is because nobody wants to support a party that can't win. And nobody who is ambitious in politics wants to be a candidate for a party that can't win. So all of the energy concentrates into the top two parties in a single winner system. And so third parties become fringe parties, spoiler parties. Occasionally they pop up, uh, but mostly they remain on the margins because the system makes it hard for them to be seen as legitimate winners. In the U.S., part of what made the two-party system workable for so long is that the two parties were big tents. Like, there were more conservative Democrats and more moderate Republicans, and so it was more like a four-party system that called itself a two-party system, so coalitions formed. When did that change? So, for a long time, we we had a multi-party system within the two-party system, and Really, that began to collapse in the 1990s. How? So you used to have a bunch of conservative Southern Democrats who uh, represented a lot of places in the South. And in 1994, a lot of them got swept out of Congress in the midterm wave election of 94. So this is like the Newt Gingrich change. Now, we believe so deeply that we can deliver something that is very different that we are prepared to be very specific about what we're doing. 
And what Newt Gingrich did that was really transformative is he nationalized the elections. We need to have a team which arrives in January already committed to spending the first 100 days in an aggressive, hardworking contract to deliver to the floor. There were a lot of people who voted for Democrats for Congress and Republicans for president. And Gingrich said, well, if you like Republicans for president, you should vote Republicans for Congress. And so what used to be these two parties that had these broad geographic coalitions that included liberals and conservatives became two parties with really essentially non-overlapping geographical coalitions, which also reflected the cultural values. You have cities and and, uh, coastal areas that are more liberal, more progressive, more cosmopolitan than ever. And you have more traditional rural, small town, ex-urban areas that are remaining traditional and feel that their way of life is increasingly under threat. Uh, And you have two parties that are still big tents, but the tents are not overlapping. Yeah, I've read in your writing that you look to the 2010 midterm elections as another kind of turning point here, which is in the 90s, things were set up for this change. And then the Tea Party movement came along. Can you tell me how the Tea Party movement really, I guess, tightened the vise here, like made things even more extreme, I guess? Right. Well, so what you see in 2010 is is the final final stage of the transformation into a flattened, genuine two-party system. Tea Party is, in many ways, a, a response to Obama's presidency. There are some darker nativist, racist elements in this movement that start to really cast Obama as, as an enemy, as a threat. It, it really flattens politics into this really crystallized us versus them. So there's just no more compromise. Uh, There's no reason to work with Obama. Both both Boehner and McConnell are pretty clear in that election that they want to make Obama a one-term presidency. Boehner being the Speaker of the House at the time and McConnell being the leader in the Senate. Right. That is the beginning, to me, of, of this escalating hyperpartisanship in which the Republican Party is increasingly tugged in, in a direction of, uh, I would say, extremism. But you have to maintain that coalition. And the way you maintain that coalition is by the shared enemy, right? And you see a lot of the, the remaining moderate Republicans starting to feel like, well, I don't, I don't have a place in this party, so I'm going to retire. And who replaces them? Somebody who's very much in this Tea Party, MAGA, Freedom Caucus. There's a clear evolution here. The, the, the labels change, but the, the basic disposition towards politics as battle royale confrontation remains. You've said that our system as it is now, this binary two-party system, directly disincentivizes active participation in democracy. But I'm wondering how, because it certainly didn't disincentivize the Tea Party. They became very active and tugged the whole thing towards them. Well, it it disincentivizes certain participation and incentivizes other participation. I I think what happens when 
politics becomes the, this incredibly heightened emotional anger and fear-driven activity, it, it engages certain types of actors and disengages other actors. So, and the funny thing is we've had some of the highest participation elections in U.S. history in the last couple of years. So people are, are voting, but I, I wouldn't say that that's a sign of the health of our democracy. People are voting because they're scared of the alternative. And it's, a, it's really a politics of fear and existential threat. And these are emotions that shut down reason and rationality and future thinking and make us just kind of dumb about politics and, <laughs> uh, and, and are also easily exploited uh, when, we're, when we're afraid. We are likely to believe things that aren't true. We are likely to give money to causes that are just grifts. And uh, we become nasty and angry towards each other. So uh, this is a, a reinforcing cycle, of course, in which we become angrier and, and nastier and politicians exploit that. And politicians think that that's what people want them to be. So they engage in those activities more, which then just reify that this is a moment in which we have to fight like hell or else we're not going to have a country. Other countries do things differently than we do. And I think if it was up to you, would work a lot more like them. Can you walk me through an example of a small D democratic country like maybe Ireland or Denmark or Germany that's managed to incentivize, you know, beyond growth beyond a political binary? Yeah. So just focus on Germany because it's the biggest. Germany has a essentially a six-party system, uh, and there is a, a far-right party that people probably know a lot about because they read a lot about it, the AFD, but that party is pretty much topped out at 10 or 15 percent. Then there's a, a, you know, an old communist party that's like 5 percent, and what you have really are four major center parties. You have the, the center-left party, the the uh, Social Democrats, center-right party, uh, Merkel's party, the, the Christian uh, Democratic Party or Christian Democratic Union. And then you have a Green Party that's very different than the U.S. Green Party, uh, more of a, a, a real environmental party. And the Liberal Party, which is sort of like a, a soft libertarian party. And pretty much every government is some coalition of those four parties, uh, and politics is broadly in the center. But in all of the regions of the country, all six parties get some representation in a, in a proportional system. So what I'm hearing you saying, you're kind of poo-pooing it, but part of what you're saying here is that there are literal neo-Nazis who are empowered in parliament. And I think a lot of Americans might hear that and think like, whoa, do we want that in our country? I mean, this is this is fundamentally the challenge of political extremism. Right. And and the AFD, if you look at international rankings of political parties and how illiberal they are by by the the standards of political scientists who who look at these political parties, 
the Republican Party and the AFD actually look pretty similar in their platforms and positions. You're saying we already kind of have these folks in, <laughs> in right. our political system. It's just that they're now able to tug more moderate Republicans to their point of view because they're all in the same boat together. Right. Exactly. So the fundamental question is, so in every Western country, uh, every Western democracy, there is some percent of, of the electorate that holds pretty far-right nationalist nativist views. That just seems to be the case. Now, question is, do you want to give them their own political party and institutionalize that, but essentially say you know, they're, they're going to have some share of, of, the elect, uh, of the electorate, so they're going to get some share of seats, so they're going to get some representation, but we're going to have a system in which nobody wants to make a coalition government with them. You're talking about a harm reduction approach to politics, which is acknowledging that really onerous people, people with onerous beliefs, will be involved in the political system. And do you want to minimize their impact or do you, do you want to not? Yeah. For a long time, people said, well, the two-party system is great because it encourages moderation. And that held as long as the moderates in the Republican Party had the upper hand and they could essentially run the party. But once the uh, liberal extremists gained the upper hand in the Republican Party and they took over one of the two major parties, now that's kind of game over, right? Because there's no way for a third party that is a moderate center-right party to emerge. If you think about how Kevin McCarthy it has operated in the House in order to become speaker, he could only build one coalition, and that coalition included all of the Republican members of Congress. That meant that he that, that the center had very little leverage because the right was very demanding, and without them, they couldn't form a coalition. I think the thing that's hard for me to hear as a listener when we look at Germany as an analog for the United States, it feels a little bit like giving up to say, well, we need to make room at the table for people with really racist beliefs because they're not going away. And the best we can do is try to minimize them in this way. And and why 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 does that seem that like giving up? Well wouldn't you want to eliminate the awful racist beliefs? I mean, you you would, but uh, how do you do that? Uh, perhaps over time, over generations, those beliefs will go away. Uh, usually happens with generational change. But I mean, this is a fundamental challenge of living in a in a democracy is that you have to accept that we are all in this together and we are all equal. After the break, could any of this work in a country as diverse and huge as America? Or does our size just further prove how essential it all is? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So how would empowering more parties work in the U.S. right now? Because as we've laid out, third-party candidates, they happen all the time here, but they essentially act as spoilers. They siphon off a few percentage points of votes, and they make it so that sometimes people are winning seats in, say, Congress without a majority of voters voting for them. So how would this work if we really wanted to put in place a more robust system where there were more candidates and more options for voters. Fundamentally, we need to move away from our system of single-member districts and need to move to a system of proportional voting for the U.S. Congress. So right now, I vote for, like, one guy who represents my area, and you're saying I should vote for, what, like, five guys who represent a bigger area? No, you still vote for one guy or or maybe better yet, one woman uh, to to represent uh, you. But there will so you, you get you get one vote. But now in a so you you currently vote in a in a single member district as does every uh, American citizen. But imagine if though if you had a five member district in which you voted still vote for one person, but there were five representatives. So now a larger area gets five representatives. They represent different parts of that electorate. Because essentially what you're doing is you're electing like a top five list. Like I'm going to hopefully elect someone who's on that list, but they may not have won the majority of the vote. In fact, they probably, they definitely didn't probably because there are so many candidates. Right. If it's a five member district with 60% Democrats, Democrats get three seats and you vote for one of those Democrats who who you want to represent you. So now Democrats could put forward a a more diverse list within that system rather than trying to find one candidate uh, who is more more than likely going to be an older white male. uh, But you could have a more diverse list. Republicans would win two seats. They could put forward two different candidates or maybe you'd have... uh, Ideally, you'd have more parties. You'd have a moderate Democratic Party, a progressive Democratic Party, a moderate Republican, maybe a more extreme Republican. It'd probably go by different names. But this sounds so complicated. Like, I'm I'm trying to imagine, like, what am I voting for? And I guess I can see I can see the advantages, right? Because it makes me think about, like, am I voting for a person or am I voting for these ideas? And I feel like I see how that's advantageous, right? It's getting me to not think cult of personality style. Right. It's different. It's definitely different. But it in most democracies around the world, uh, this is how people vote. And they they don't find it too complicated. It, it what, what we have 
right now is an overly simplistic system in which, you know, there's two parties and most people vote for one party their entire life. So whoever that party puts forward as a candidate, they're going to vote for. And that's really simple. But it's so simple that it makes us dumb. A lot of the countries you've talked about, places that already have this multi-party democracy happening, they're much smaller than the U.S. Has anyone tried this at this scale? I mean, the EU is becoming more and more of a powerful political institution, and the EU uses a proportional voting system to elect its members. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the U.S. is is a is a distinct country. I mean, you know, and like I, I look at at the largest countries in the world, and and it, it it does create some governing challenges. And this is why there are a lot of people who think, well, if, you know, maybe we should focus more on governing at the states and let the states have more power. And so, I ultimately the question is, what type of of party and voting system gives us the most chance at solving these problems. When I look at the system that we have now and the way it enforces this arbitrary binary and drives all of our ancient us versus them mental circuits and, and just really kind of makes us stupid about politics, I say, that this system is clearly not working. Now, can I promise that another system is going to work? You know, I, I, I'm not going to make such promises, but based on what I see around the world and based on the underlying political science, I think it's our best shot. Lee, I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it was my pleasure, Mary. Really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's such an important issue, and I'm glad we are having this conversation. Lee Drutman is a senior fellow at New America's Political Reform Program. He's also the host of the podcast Politics in Question and the author of Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop. His work is part of a special series Slate's got going on on America's two-party system. You can check out all the great work over at slate.com slash party. All right, that's the show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here, What Next, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus and show us some love. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. Catch you back here tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.